I'm glad that everybody didn't decide to go out of town on the long weekend. I'm also glad to see that we have some visitors. I trust and pray that you will feel at home today. And next Sunday, the pastor will be back to, at least I'm assuming he will, I'm making an assumption, and we'll be here to share the word and to uh, direct our activities. For those that may not know me, my name is Jack Bridal, and uh, I am a retired minister in the Church of God and have been for about 70 years, give or take a bit. And uh, so I come today simply with the desire to share what God has laid on my heart from his word. I don't know how many of you use the daily bread as your devotional, but if you do and you read it yesterday, that was the introduction to my message. And if you forget what you read yesterday, you can go home and read it again. And that way you'll get my introduction at the end. But we're just counted as such a privilege to be a child of God. When I think of my background, my family, the situation that I could have been, but I heard the gospel when I was about eight or nine years of age. It sounds funny now, but it wasn't funny then. In our living room, we had a old Quebec heater who burned wood. And this was up in northern Saskatchewan. We burned poplar. And if you know anything about burning green poplar, it cracks, it snaps, it pops. Well, there wasn't a lot of room in the house, and my cot was tucked between the Quebec heater and the outside wall. Now, I'd heard about the gospel, I'd heard about heaven, I'd heard about hell, and for some reason or another, hell stuck in my mind a little more than heaven did as a boy of eight. And I was laying behind that cot, or in the cot behind the Quebec heater trying to go to sleep. Dad had thrown on some extra logs green so they would burn overnight. And all I could hear was hell snapping and popping and hissing. And I decided the next time I had a chance, I was going to give my heart to Jesus wasn't long until we had a revival in Kelvington at the Pentecostal Assemblies Church. Some neighbors took us, and that night I gave my heart to Jesus. I wish I could tell you that I always did everything right after that. I wish I could tell you I never sinned or I never made mistakes. But if I told you that, I'd be making a big one right now. But I'm so grateful that through it all, through my carelessness, stupidity, ignorance, God in his love has kept me. And for that, I am so, so, so grateful. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, 
I am overwhelmed as I think of your love and your grace and your death. And you did it because you loved us. You did it because you loved me. And Father, I pray that somehow this morning as we open the word of God and share what's on our heart, that you will speak to the hearts of each person here today. Bring a fresh awareness to each of us of your divine presence and your power that you want to work in and through us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be sensitive to the fact that you are real and you want to have a part in each of our lives. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. I had the privilege over the years, because of various positions I've held, to work with a number of young men and women who were entering the ministry. And uh, it was always a blessing when I was able to see them develop into pastors and missionaries and people that led in churches and uh, denominational leaders. But one thing I always tried to implant on them was the importance of having the right tools to do the right job. And for a minister, the best tool or some of the tools is to have books. Of course, the most important book is this one. But then you need books to help in other areas. And I would encourage them and I would tell them every trade needs a tool. A carpenter would be lost without his hammer and saw and level and square. An electrician would be lost without his wire cutters and pliers, drill. And we would be lost we didn't have the right kind of books. Now, as much as I appreciate books and their authors, there's one thing I appreciate even more, and that is the abiding presence of God, his presence in my life on a day-by-day basis. When we think about that, I want us to think just a moment about the Trinity, made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We somehow or another put them into little boxes, don't we, sometimes? But the truth of the matter is that Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. And that same is true when you see Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit. And when you see the Holy Spirit and have him working in your life, you're having the presence of Christ working in your life. They are three in one, and don't ask me to explain it. I just believe it. But this one thing I know, and that is that they are real in each one of our lives. And they want to dwell within us. I think most of you, or at least I hope most of you, know the story of Adam and Eve in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. How that God formed man out of the dust to the ground, and he breathed into him the breath of life. And when he breathed into him the breath of life, he breathed the nature of God into Adam. And then God told him, you can eat of any fruit in the garden from the trees, except the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat it, you will die. Now, I'm sure that he explained to Adam what that death meant. It meant that when he became disobedient that the Spirit of God would leave him 
and he was on his own. You know, people talk about God's curse or people being cursed. I don't, I don't understand whether God actually curses or not, but I know that he sometimes withdraws his hand from us. He leaves us on our own doing. And when we don't trust him, and we figure we can do it all by ourselves, we'll get into trouble. Well, Adam figured, okay, I guess if the devil and Eve figures it's okay to eat from this tree, I'll take a nibble. But he was disobedient. And at that time, the Spirit of God left him. And as a result, and we don't, that's a whole sermon or a whole series that we don't have time to go into. But the truth of the matter is that you and I have all been born in sin, dead in our transgressions, because the Spirit of God was not in us. But I have good news for you this morning. I wouldn't want to leave you with that kind of a downer. For we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or couldn't grasp it or couldn't put it out. Jesus is the, not just the life, but he is the light. Life in him is what each of us have when we accept Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge that we are sinners and need a savior, when he comes into our lives, death is dispelled. We're no longer candidates for death because death means that God leaves Life means that God comes in to our lives. I have a number of scriptures this morning, probably more than I need. And uh, I see it's very fortunate they've taken the clock down from the back, and I like that. So uh, we're free to go. In John chapter 15, verses 16 to 18, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And listen to what he said. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because they neither see him nor know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. When Jesus used the word another comforter, he was using a word in the Greek that means exactly the same. So when Jesus said, I'm going to send another counselor or comforter or the Holy Spirit, whatever term you want to use to describe him, he said, it's exactly like me. And I'm going to be with you and I will not leave you as orphans without a father to guide and direct your life. He said, you know him for he, shall, he lives with you and will be in you. Can you... Did you, can you somehow or another catch what I'm feeling this morning? God is in me. God is in you. That's what gives you eternal life. That's what makes you the very unique person you are in the body of Christ. God is 
in you. I wish I could fully express how I feel this morning. But friends, somehow we need to awaken. We talk about the Holy Spirit coming down. We sing about it. We talk about all sorts of phraseology. But the truth of the matter is he's in your heart already. And he simply wants you to respond to his love and his grace and his mercy and to show that love and grace and mercy to the body of Christ in the community in which you live. Now, there's a condition. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, I will pray the Father. Now, we think of Jesus' commandments, we think, well, there must be a bunch of them. But I was reading and it said, if you break them down, there's probably no more than seven. Now, there's lots of other things that tie into it, but actual commandments, only seven. But I think the greatest of these is found in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Oh, that the love of God would show through us the love that we have for God and the love we have for others. Now, I don't need to talk about commandments because the last two sermons the pastor preached, he took all the time he wanted and dealt with the commandments in the word of God. The only thing I want you to realize from this promise is this, that Jesus said, if you keep them, I will pray the Father and the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And when he sends the Holy Spirit, when you invite Jesus into your heart, he comes to dwell and to change and to give you power in every aspect of your life. We see it all through scripture, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the household of God, having built the foundation on the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together as a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You have the God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place, each one of us individually. And I cannot put enough emphasis on the value of the entire body that God puts us in. We need one another, and I never know when you're going to speak to me as the voice of God. I never know when you're going to reach out your hand and put it on my shoulder and encourage me as the hand of God. I never know when I might be able to speak a word and not even in a consciousness that will help you. We must have each other. Someone said a year or so ago they were complimenting my wife and I And they said, you're an inspiration to us because you're in church every Sunday. My friend, unless there's something drastic 
There's no place else I would want to be because in the house of God, I sense the presence of God as he works through the people of God to encourage the kingdom of God. And this morning, I long for that presence to be felt in each one of us. Not only is the church the temple, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, he says, do you not know that you individually are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defies the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. All temples don't look the same. Vince doesn't look like Aaron. Aaron doesn't look like Neil. But each one of you are a temple filled with the presence of God. What we do, our actions, our words, our activities, our thoughts are an expression of the fact that the Holy Spirit is in each one of us. Now we can't, some, Christianity isn't a book of rules. Christianity is a life lived out with the presence of God in each one of us. When I was reading of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, or 14 through 21. And uh, it's one of Paul's prayers for the church in Ephesus. And a phrase in it jumped out at me. He said, the believer's strength rests in the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Let's read it. For this reason, Paul had just finished talking about the first two chapters of Ephesians about how good God is. Jew and the Gentile all come into the kingdom together and how powerful God is. He's in heavenly places. And then he said, for this reason, I bow my knee to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width, the width, the length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. To be strengthened with his might in the inner man. Now I know the outer man can get tired and weary with aches and pains and discomforts, but oh, to know that we are strengthened inwardly by the dynamic power of God. To know that when temptation comes, we don't have to yield. To know that when disappointments come, we don't have to be put down on the rug and count to ten. But we have the strength of God's holy presence in each one of us. And he said it's according to the work that's in us, the very presence of God. 
So when Paul said, I bow my knee, he was recognizing God the Father as the source. But I think we need to move on to notice that sometimes we think that religion is doing what we think will please God. <coughs> Living by the golden rule, not hurting your neighbors, not beating your wife, not kicking the dog, you know, a bunch of things like that. But I can't do enough in my sinful nature to please God. I can't do enough to pay the same sacrifice that Christ paid on the cross. I can't do enough to make God happy. All I can do is come and trust God to do for me what he wants to do. To be strengthened, or he said in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. We measure everything in terms, or most things in terms of what we see. But if you could stand out in a night and look into the sky and you see the sky, the stars, and in their multitudes of complexity and realize that that's just a slight glimmer of what God can do in his glory. But the riches of his glory makes it possible for you and I to be strengthened in the inner man. He goes on and talks about the riches of his glory in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. And I'm not going to take time to read that, but let's go to Ephesians 2, verses 3 through 5. He said, Among whom all we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the nature and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. And then verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he loved us when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive with Christ. By grace are you saved. He made us alive. Oh, that we might always live in the glorious presence of the riches of God's mercy. Let's look again. Well, we didn't read it before, but I'd like to read part of Ephesians 7, 3.17. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the length, breadth, and height, and to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What does that mean? It means I'm to be Christ-like, means I'm to be God-like, means I'm to be Holy Spirit-like, means that I should walk in the fullness of him and be complete in him. It has been said that Jesus saw with the eyes of God, heard with the ears of God, spoke with the authority of God, he thought with the mind of God, he loved with the love of God, he moved with the plan of God, he knew with the knowledge of God, he acted with, by the will of God. Because God was within him wherever he went, troubles and difficulties melted like snow in the bright sunlight of day. Today, God wants you to
to be his eyes, his ear, his voice, his love, his compassion, his caring. Colossians 2.9 said, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I like the NIV that says that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, that the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit would be real in each one of our lives today. We sometimes make it mystical. We sometimes think it's spiritual. But I've got news for you this morning. Living with the presence of God demonstrated in your life is normal. That's who you were born to be. Because when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior and he, the life of God came into you, what was lost in Adam was restored through Jesus Christ. I never know when I'll hear the voice of God coming from someone else. Sometimes it's spectacular. Sometimes it's just a suggestion. Sometimes... The other person isn't even aware that they're speaking God's words to me. But back in 1967 to 72, I pastored the Church of God in Moose Jaw. And after five years, both Phyllis and I had to begin to tug in our spirits that it was time to move on. Our word ministry there was coming to a close. I let the overseer know and he let us know that there was a church opening in Toronto. Now you have to realize back in 1972, we had six children still at home. Our oldest daughter was in grade 12. And uh, we wondered, is this what God wants us to do? Is this, is this the move we should make? And we were kind of debating on it. And I went to a church council meeting, board meeting, uh, that was regularly scheduled and I was going to talk some to my men about it. And uh, we got sitting down and Fred Goldsney, who never really was, came out on a lot of things very powerfully, but he looked at me and he said, Pastor, when are you moving? Excuse me? <laughs> Well, he said, God told me that we need to talk in the council meeting today about finding a new pastor because you're moving on. That was the confirmation that I needed to know that Toronto was for us. I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. And uh, after two and a half years there, I figured I'd be there forever. But I was appointed back here as the administrative bishop or overseer. But those were two and a half fabulous years that God used us in touching the lives of hundreds of people in the Toronto area, and that church is still carrying on and stronger today. I wish I could tell you that I always listened when God spoke. Uh, we'd just been married in Ontario, I was planning to come back to Bible school in the fall uh, at Estevan. The overseer asked me if I would take charge of a church in Windsor. It was a little church. In fact, I was thinking about it this morning when we were praying in preparation. I had more, we had more people in our prayer meeting this morning than we did in that church. 
But he asked me to go there because he felt it was God's will. About that time, I got an offer to drive a truck from a factory in Windsor to a dealership in Saskatchewan. Wouldn't cost me anything. My meals and motels would be paid for. Be a free trip west. About the same time, my dad contacted me. A neighbor needed help in harvest. Was willing to hire us for two months. Phyllis and I for a month, me for two months. I didn't listen to what God was trying to tell me. And we came west. I wish I could tell you that it worked well. The first thing that we discovered was that the man that we were farming with hired us, couldn't keep his word. We were cheated out of a third to a half of our salary at the end of two months, which was supposed to pay our year's tuition. And I began to tell God how sorry I was for not listening. I contacted the college. Now, God works things out, but he doesn't say that there doesn't have to be consequences. I contacted the college, told them I wouldn't be able to cover the cost, and they said, well, come anyway. We need somebody to stoke the furnace in the hangar building, which was the bigger building. If you're willing to do that, it'll cover your cost. So in the winter months, three times a day, I shoveled a ton of soft coal into a hopper. Now, for those of you that are of the younger generation, you don't know what a ton is. That's 2,000 pounds. If you don't know what 2,000 pounds is, it's about 50 kilograms, 500, 1,000 kilograms. And by the time I finished filling the hopper, I looked like I was a miner. So not only did I fill the hopper three times a day, I showered three times a day and then went to class. But in the end, I knew that God was with me because of his grace and his mercy and his love. I blew it, but God didn't. And my friends, you can be sure that he will be with you when you look. I don't know, I could tell you many stories how God used us. If Abe and Elaine were here this morning, he, I could share, and I will share because he talks about it publicly. We had a camp meeting in, in Alberta when they were just finishing up their Bible school years. He came to the camp meeting one or two nights, and I don't think I'd ever met them before. But while I was praying for them that night, and I have no idea what I prayed, but he tells me afterwards that how I prayed was a confirmation that God was calling them into ministry. In Saskatoon, we had a young couple come to visit us. They sat in our living room. They were probably in their early 30s. He said, I've just been diagnosed with an incurable disease. They tell me I'll be dead in six months to a year. I just took out a mortgage. And I didn't put death insurance on it. I don't know what my wife's going to do. I looked at him, called him by name, and I have no idea where this came from. 
I just simply said, you're going to pay your mortgage off. That was 30-some years ago, and as far as I know, he's still living today. You see, God uses us when we least expect it. I wasn't doing any calculating or reasoning or figuring. I just knew that God spoke through us. God wants to use you that way. Sometimes, now don't get nervous, but sometimes it's your spouse that God speaks through. There's been many times that I've got a great idea, you know, over the moon idea. And the little lady will say, have you prayed about it? (laughs) Maybe we should think on this a little longer. Well, when I prayed about it and thought about it a little longer, the thing didn't really... I wasn't hearing what I thought I was hearing. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to fill each one of us with his power, with his presence, with his glory, that we could be not just for our own benefit, but that we would benefit one another. Let me read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and then 20 through 25 as our closing remarks. Paul said, I say then, walk in the spirit. Oh, I like this. And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, you're not under the condemnation. And I'm not going to go into verses 19 through 21 because it tells you they list the the activities of the flesh. But I want to go to verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The worship team will come. Let's take that last verse. If we live in the Spirit, we will also Walk in the Spirit. Is that where you want to be? I know I do. Is that where you want your family to sense and feel in you? In a few weeks, towards the end of the month, we're meeting with our family at Cypress Hills. The last count I had, there will be close to 40 of us there with in-laws and grandkids and great-grandkids. Some of them are not serving the Lord My prayer is that somehow Phyllis and I will be able to show them the love of Christ and they would see the glory of the Father in us and come to know him who is life eternal. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, Heavenly Father, because you are here empowering and anointing each one of us today that we might live in the fullness of your grace and power. Bless each person here today. Be with them this week as they live out the Spirit of God in them. We ask it in your precious name.
Amen. Let's stay in an attitude of worship as the... You may stand and rise if you like. The prayer team can come. If you have a prayer request or a need, come and join us.